0: Life is a blank canvas, and you paint your own story. I'm Lee Rogers, and welcome to The Blank Canvas. I'm going to be chatting with the trailblazers, artists, thought leaders, athletes, the entrepreneurs and creators, incredible individuals who inspire us to live large. This week's episode features one of Australia's most revered photographers, Graham Shearer, His path to success sounds like something out of a romance novel, but it's a true blue Aussie success story. Born and raised in Perth, Western Australia, as a hobby, Graham photographed his family, landscapes, waves and surfers, but couldn't have dreamed of a career in photography. To his parents' horror, he dropped out of his accounting studies and went travelling, always with the camera in hand. Meeting his future wife, Patricia Merck, a French model on holiday in Bali, started Graham on a more fashionable and commercial path. He began travelling with Patricia, working as a male model, and shooting test shots of model friends, which were styled by Patricia. His first paid assignment was in Tokyo for a Japanese fashion magazine in the late 70s. By the early 80s, Graham and his now wife, Patricia, moved to Sydney and quickly rose up the ranks as a photographer and stylist team. Patricia became the fashion editor of Dolly magazine, with Graham, her go-to photographer. Under the leadership of a prodigious young editor, Lisa Wilkinson, the magazine was an extraordinary success and was renowned for pushing the envelope creatively. Before long, Graham was one of the most in-demand fashion and portrait photographers in Australia, and Patricia, the most in-demand fashion editor. Graham was the photographer of choice for Elle Macpherson for over a decade and responsible for some of her most iconic images, which actually helped usher in a global career for Graham. His list of credits is astonishing. Supermodels include Naomi Campbell and Linda Evangelista. Actors include Nicole Kidman, Kristen Scott Thomas, Keanu Reeves, Christopher Lambert and Kim Basinger. Brands include Revlon, Qantas, L'Oreal Paris, Rolex, and Moet and Chandon. Magazines include iconic US mags Vanity Fair, Interview, and Vogue, Italianel UK's Tatler, and France's Photo Magazine, and Madame Figaro. Graham's strength lies in his ability to capture natural beauty with effortless, refined, and timeless style. Combine that with his infectious enthusiasm and it's an irresistible combination. Yours truly got his start in the business when Graham spotted me as a young grommet in 1984 and put me front and centre in Dolly magazine for a few years there, which, rumour has it, my future wife had pulled a few of these pages out of the mags. Graham is still working with the same enthusiasm and delivering sublime work. He now lives between Byron Bay and the south of France with Patricia and his three boys. I know... That sounds too good to be true. Despite global success with the biggest names in the biz, he's still one of the most grounded people I know. It gives me real joy to welcome to the blank canvas, Graham Shearer.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Lee. How are you today? Good, good. I'm really good now, I had a swim. Oh mate, fantastic. It's a good day for in the water, beautiful.
0: Beautiful day out there. Well, I just got locked out for an hour, so I didn't get to prepare any questions, so we're free-falling here. Bad living. <laughs> so, I guess, first off, Bugs, where'd the nickname come from?
1: Well, long story short, my dad was called Bunny, my brother was called Rabbit, and when I was at school, when I was really young, uh, I got hit by a cricket bat when I was the a keeper, lost a tooth, and I looked like a rabbit for a while, so I got Bugs for a nickname. <laughs>
0: Well, it's certainly stuck, hasn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, somehow it still kind of, still fits. Sort of, which
1: my wife calls me bug sometimes. My sisters do. Yeah, a lot of people it sticks.
0: It's better than dickhead or buffhead or...
1: (laughs) I've probably been called that somewhere (laughs) (laughs) on different occasions, but not really, no. No, it's a good name. I quite like it. Yeah, it is a good
0: name. Mate, so how do you go from studying accountancy to being australia's most successful fashion photographer
1: oh thanks for the compliment i was not really good at accounting i found out after a while it was a course to do because i really liked going surfing and i had to make a good excuse for my parents to keep going to school and that was my excuse i just ended up getting migraines from trying to do all the accounts that's quite another story too to become a fashion photographer i um, ended up dropping out of school Kept the surfing up, did lots of odd jobs, which a lot of people do when they're not sure, from bricklaying or, or you know, brickies labourer all the way through to whatever I could do and um, ended up in Bali at that time because I was from Perth and Bali seemed to be, in the 70s, was a go-to place before it got super popular, just especially for surfers. And I was there and I met uh, my French wife uh, at the time and um, she was a model coming back from Tokyo. And I always liked photography, I'd always done sort of travel shots of uh, places I'd been and stuff and uh, she sort of introduced me slowly to the world of fashion photography and I was really interested in that. She taught me that photos can be set up and to look natural, which is what I really liked but I didn't understand that process and I thought Everything had to be natural and it was very fake to take a shot that wasn't natural. So she brought me into the world of fashion. I've always liked fashion. Anyway, she took photos of me because I looked pretty good at that stage and uh, she was coming back from Tokyo and her agency in Tokyo had never taken men before and uh, I was one of the first men I ever took. And I went from the beaches of Bali, semi-hippie, quite long hair in a ponytail with an earring to uh, doing catwalks in Tokyo within a few months. It was quite wild that's surreal yeah and um from that i was still doing photos all my friends were models that you'd met in tokyo and living in small apartments and having a ball and i took shots of them uh, they always need new test shots and then i really started liking that side of the camera even though i was in a model modeling was just a means to an end then for me i quite liked it but it was i don't know if anyone's seen the movie lost in translation bill murray yeah it's a great b- film. felt a bit like that when you're in beautiful locations and i never was an assistant like most photographers start with now. I just learned it from working with really good photographers and a little bit instinctive, I guess. I quite liked the uh, creative process. And I taught myself that way. And then I did some work actually in Tokyo as a photographer, as a model too, but working mainly as a model, but um, I had a few jobs where they wanted me to be a photographer. So that really got me started. And then I went back to Australia and... um, started there and it was it was a great process wow
0: we'll come back to when you came to australia we'll talk more about in that in more detail back to wa and when you were a kid so what age when you got your first camera or you first started taking photos do you remember
1: i i remember my dad he was a pharmacist and he was into photography way back and he had like box brownies and stuff i don't know if people remember what they are one of the first cameras and then my brother uh, who was three years older than me, he started taking photos and he did some great landscapes and that. And I guess that slowly triggered me into taking photos. It was a surfing element that brought me in to photography and living in great places down south, WA, I lived there for a while and just slowly got introduced to the photography that way. On a personal level and
0: did you have a dark room at home and that kind of no
1: thing? um i always wanted to do dark room it was my wife patricia later on in france that introduced me to dark room which we got up lots of mischief and i learned that process of dark room but by that stage i'd become sort of a professional photographer and because i was working quite a lot a lot of the work went out to people that do it quickly and are very good at their field yeah and i missed that process yeah but i learned the basics. But I never expounded on being a good printer or some people used to.
0: Well, it's kind of like you were successful really quickly. Like once you came back to Australia, did Pasha, because she became, you know, probably one of our most lauded fashion editors at magazines and you two became kind of a dynamic duo. Yeah. Did she land that fashion editor job quickly or did she work as a stylist first before she got her first magazine job?
1: Pretty much we used to do test shots together and she'd style and she was always she did East Sydney Tech as a fashion designer. Oh, so did she, she always had that field and being French she has that innate style that comes with most French women that I know, as yeah. you see when you're in France too. So she used to help me on jobs and then I started working, I met Lisa Wilkinson at Dolly and a lot of my first work was with Dolly and Lisa was at that stage with Kerry Packer and they were trying to use more freelance people. So that was one of the first freelance they ever used. And because it became, not just because of me, but because of Lisa involved, the magazine did really well and they started selling more and more. And Dolly became such a, an iconic magazine for young <laughs> girls to read. And then I just sort of suggested, I thought she was worthy, Patricia of uh, Pasha, of uh, being a stylist. They wanted a stylist. And Lisa really liked to work and we started working together. And then we started doing as together, just great conceptual work. Yeah. But just getting the good team together and that's really key as a fashion photographer because you get a weak link, uh, yeah. could be makeup, could be model, sometimes location, weather, and you have to put it all together. So that you're trying to get a strong team. So yeah, she got involved fairly quickly and then we did some really strong work for Dolly and the sales went up and to incredible levels. And Lisa got scoped then, Lisa Wilkinson got scoped by Kerry Packer to do clear. Yeah. And then passion I well more passion than me, because I was freelancing and working for other magazines as well, she got invited over to Clear, which was a good thing professionally, but creatively for her, not quite as good. But she yeah. went on to work for Elle magazine and yeah. Murray Claire eventually, which was great yeah. again too.
0: Well, um, yeah, that Dolly era, obviously close to my heart as well, because <laughs> it was through that era you gave me my start in yeah. the business, which yeah. was being essentially the token bloke in, in amongst all of the um, pretty young girls in the, yeah. in the fashion editorial stories that you were doing. Yeah. So, mate, thanks for that
1: um, opportunity. Well, that came about naturally, Lee. You were a good-looking bloke uh, and I knew you as a friend as well, but it was just it, – it was nothing to do with that. You were a great model and at the time it worked perfectly for Dolly, your age and, and your energy, and it was just – it was seamless and that's why – we all introduced each other to people in the business. It was much less formal in a way. It was a very creative time, I think, in Australia, especially early 80s. In yeah, Australia. it was like
0: a sort of high tide mark for creativity yeah. in magazines and fashion at that time. Well, like I think it Australia
1: was finding yeah. its um, image in the world because we've been always influenced by overseas, what they were doing, always in awe. And I think in the 80s, through people like Patrick Russell, Australian Vogue. He led the way, did some really strong work, strong statements for Australia using the outside light, you know, the healthy outside atmospheres we have, but in an essential way. And I think a lot of overseas photographers would come to Australia and not be able to deal with the light because it's so strong and having trouble with that. And he showed people the way and he was one of the influences in my career, for sure, at an early age.
0: That's very cool. You know how he's directed commercials for a while? Yeah. He cast me in a Coke commercial. It was oh, like okay. the first big commercial I did. Wow. And there you go. That was the only time I worked with him. I've never worked with him when he was shooting stills, but well, yeah. when he was directing ads. And it was one of the things that influenced me to want to go and direct ads. Yeah. I was like, wow. And in fact, on set, on that day, I remember mm. it. He was a legend. Mm. Very clever guy. Yeah. I remember him saying to me, we did this scene. And he said, you're really good. Keep doing this. You've got something, and it really—it sort sparked of meant, it. yeah, it sparked it, something. Well, and it meant a lot you,
1: to me at that time. You also, anyone creative, is, also has an insecurity. So, the, it's nice to get an endorsement for someone who is very famous or very driven, and also very good at what they do. It just makes you feel like, yes, I might go for it. It's not just a wayward compliment.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And in fact, similar with you, I looked up to you at the time, you know, having grown up surfing and you're a surfer and you were working with uh, Pasha. You guys were creating really magical work at that time. It was kind of like, wow, I want to grow up to be like Bugs and Pasha. Well, you did good. (laughs) (laughs) And, And, uh, Kate may not be French, but they're similar creative.
1: Well, you bounce off each other, people
0: with with kind of European sensibilities as, as well.
1: I think that's it's really important. You've got to find your own image or your own direction, but it's nice to be influenced by people you trust and, and that goes both ways. And I think that you get criticism and it's good to take it on board. And then also to be driven with your one vision. Your vision's good. Well everyone has a vision. Now everyone's a photographer. Yeah. And everyone has their vision. And I think, you know, you see some amazing stuff that people that aren't necessarily professional photographers. But um, the difference being a professional has to get that shot. And produce the goods, as you know, doing commercials, regardless of the model, the light, the weather, yeah. the timing, the yeah. stress. That's right. And you don't often see that in the backstory. Yeah. Right? I think it'd be quite fascinating if we had written a backstory in some of the fashion shoots or you, probably for you too, some of the commercials you've directed. Yeah. And you go, wow, if they'd only known. <laughs> you know, your Excuses are everything. You're not really saying it's an excuse for why it could have been better. Usually yeah. you strive for the actual best you can. Yeah with the ingredients you're given absolutely and a professional would should deliver mostly
0: yeah yeah totally can't agree more yeah it was interesting with you and Pasha because she did bring that European sensibility and you brought that kind of natural Aussie sun-baked kind of thing and the and the combination was really iconically Australian yeah um and your are what i liked working about you and i think one of the reasons you you were so successful is you were relentlessly enthusiastic yeah like you were you made people feel comfortable because you weren't the the kind of the polished expert in a way, you were just relentlessly enthusiastic and you got the best out of people and you worked hard. You were up, you know, every morning you were up early, you were shooting at magic hour, you'd go all day, your eyes were always red because you were (laughs) like in the elements, the wind, the water, and then at night you'd be pouring over the white box, selecting the images, and then you'd do it again and again. And you were – how many – How many days, you know, back in that eighties, early nineties time, how many days were you shooting a year? Do you you remember
1: shooting a lot? Shooting, I don't know. I felt like I was shooting six days a week sometimes, and um, I was shooting for five magazines at once, and which was a lot, which is unheard of now because most people just want that loyalty to one. Yeah, Uh, and just yeah, catalog work. You were doing a lot of work for Country Road back then. Yeah. And they were a really good client of mine. And then I went from that to Hot Tuna, which is crazy on another level and very creative. And um, it was, I just, I think you, when you're driven with creativity, it's like an adrenaline. Yeah. And you don't get tired. I think. Later on, when I was shooting mainly a lot more catalogue work, commercial work, I did a lot of work for Next uh, catalogue people in London and they'd, they'd shoot for two weeks straight. And You'd be in a beautiful location but you're shooting seven till seven at night and yeah. uh, you'd come back and you'd just be going to the lab at night and you'd be dead. Yeah, And that could kill your creative process but you're making money. Yeah. It's sort of a balanced commercial photography yeah. between getting y- your images you want to show but then getting paid, you know, that's the ice cream in fact but if you can get a client that's really creative that pays you well that's the the
0: perfect thing yeah Yeah. so with say at dolly at that time would a brief come down from the fashion editor or would you see the clothes and then you'd build an idea around what the clothes are would you and Pasha just chat together and go okay we're gonna maybe let's do this in black and white and let's do a film noir kind of thing and the the title might be blah like there was really great art Mm. directors and designers at the magazine as well that would take your images and convert them into these incredible layouts and stories like gives an insight into how that process ran at that golden time.
1: Well, usually when you... Well, usually it's because it's to do with fashion. It's a fashion magazine. It comes from what's happening in Europe and what's happening in the latest catwalks. And you go, you go from that and it could be a, a cowboy influence. It could be, like, a colour influence. So... You, the stylist would get involved probably pretty much first. They talked with the editor and she pitches ideas saying this should be good, this should be good, I want to do a story and that. Then they get the photographer involved, where I'd come in and you'd talk models, you'd talk locations, hair and makeup, and and so you'd get involved a almost a second degree, and then you come in and say that, and then uh, we'd go and shoot it and Usually, with Dolly, they were pretty free with their briefs as far as um, how many pages. Sometimes you'd get, depending on how good the shoot was, they would give you extra pages if they really liked it, which was unheard of now, yeah, because now it's all bought by advertisers and stuff and pages are so so many pages. So then it was really good. So I was aiming to get it as creative, as great a shoot as we could get, and everyone, like you're saying before, hair and makeup, the models, and everyone was so into getting a good shot. And I was, um, I kept a lot of stress inside, but I'm also like externally I'm looking very relaxed and that's the way I want to approach it because you get better work out of people when they are relaxed. But not yeah. getting them that relaxed, they get lazy. Yeah. You've got to sort of not crack the whip, but just go, hey. Yeah. But usually they're really into it and that's who you get the best, I find the best. It doesn't work for me. Some photographers used to throw cameras and get stressed and yeah. do all that stuff. And as the assistants will attest that have worked for me ever since, it's always been I usually just try and diffuse it, but still creatively, you hang on to it. But then, then I'd get it back to the magazine. I would go through with passion. I'd edit it at night, like you're saying, give them a selection of five shots, because then it was transparency. I used to edit them, cut them out put them on a piece, show them my best two shots and I only usually give them that. And if they didn't like that, I'd give them three others and usually they'd be exactly the same as the first two and I'd stick by that. I didn't know I was like this, I didn't know I was so particular because some photographers would just give all the film to the um, art directors. And then it's not really showcasing what you really want to say in a story because yeah. anyone can interpret your story differently so I was really fussy about that because we were doing such good work they were really happy with what direction we were showing them we wanted the magazine right. or that the editorial to look like yeah uh, I remember seeing once uh, Helmut Newton I think it was a Pirelli calendar that he was doing and he would show the art director he said uh, here's the shot and they'd go well, where's the rest and he says well here's a note, very reluctantly he'd give them a second shot, which is very similar to the first. (laughs) Sometimes you get a few shots that look really good anyway and you you show those extra ones and you might get more pages, but usually you have a singular view on how you like it to look.
0: That's very cool. And what about the amount of film and how many rolls of film how many shots oh, i, I know it would you know how long is a piece of string really yeah but did you have a tend to have a certain ratio for how many rolls you'd want for a story for yeah. you know three page five pages blah blah blah
1: well a couple of things there when i used to work for dolly or when i've started working but, yeah. Uh, dolly was 50 dollars a page and you pay for your film all oh, right so it was pretty tough yeah back then so i used to shoot two rolls right on, on an actual shot yep and then later, it became like when I used to model in Japan, I learned from the Japanese really good guys. They would shoot forty rolls on a shot, and I'd go, "That's really excessive." And it was a little excessive, considering. Wow! But they had the philosophy: you just get as many different ones you want until you feel you've got the shot. Yeah, right. So mine was other education. It was like a budget thing. Yeah, and but I got enough shots in there usually to cover it. Sometimes I went over, and I had to, I lost money on shoots. Yeah. But that was okay. The editorial led to the advertising. Yeah, wow. So wow. some days I had trouble. When I was actually getting paid later, the budgets went up, of course, because the magazine was doing well. Yeah. And then I worked for other magazines and then they had bigger budgets and then you're shooting more. Uh, then I was shooting six rolls. Yeah. Which was great. Yeah. And it was like, wow. And then, <laughs> I just, then I went to big format film and, yeah. yeah, it was always, I used to always push the boundaries with budgets.
0: Gotcha. And with like your style, which was, I guess, natural Australian, as you said earlier, using the natural light here, usually shooting at magic hour for the sort of hero shots, if they're exteriors, elegantly fashionable in a way. It was kind of an Australian aesthetic and you tapped into, well, at that time, I mean, you were the sort of main photographer and photographer of choice for Elle McPherson at the kind of height of her supermodel days and mm. you shot for her all over the world were you conscious of, of evolving a style that became iconically graham shearer or did it just sort of happen naturally and others described what was your style and you went oh okay yeah well i guess that is how did that come about do you know
1: well working with Elle was not always easy she was a beautiful girl that probably had some insecurities about her body she didn't actually think her body was that great and most people would die for that body as you know she had she eventually was called the body her her line of beauty products and that i think we did her first shoot for australian vogue and that was in broome and she'd done a lot of work with her ex-husband uh, jill spencer for l magazine in europe and that was a lot of fluoro which people are doing now again because it was very fashionable and a lot of physical body shapes, very graphic. And uh, with me, it was like I wanted to shoot her differently, a bit torn away from that. I think she was breaking away and it was a really good time to start working with her. She wanted to explore those boundaries as well. She really trusted me. So we did black and white, we did half nude, we did just more, I don't know, I've still, the shots today are still very classical and iconic and they lasted which is a good test of a good photo. A photo to last that length of time and still look almost modern. Totally. That was lighting and sensuality. I really like mixing them both. And um, also technique. I played a lot with technique, which came about later. Because I was known for natural, but then I'd muck natural up. It's like anyone, yep. you, you know, you get musicians or anyone, you, you, you get known for a certain song or a certain thing, and then eventually you want to yep. show that you have this other. Yeah, In there still, this creative side.
0: Yeah, no, you, you absolutely did. Yeah, you went off and, like, I noticed your interior lighting evolved and evolved and, really, you kind of pushed lots of different genres as time went on. I mean, really, if you look at all of your editorial work, I mean, there's probably not a genre you didn't shoot, really. Yeah. But yeah. I guess the sort of most iconic images are those ones... With Elle, is that well, right? Elle
1: was probably I don't know when I did the Elle calendar. That was a big because that was filmed by Channel Nine, yeah. And that was a big production shot in Bali because I lived in Bali for a while and a lot of locations of my idea and with the hair and makeup. And that had a lot of publicity. I mean, she was already famous, but it yeah. just put me on the map. And from that, I think. Uh, it's like anyone who gets some sort of instant celebrity status you go like whoa you use it I mean it it helps you getting other work yep you get remembered more for stuff and uh, it put me into other areas but with the creative thing you were saying before I think yeah it's like I really wanted to push boundaries and almost break photographic processes at that time like c41 came about I didn't create that it was there we just used new techniques that were being developed overseas and just explore them and we like magazines like Australian Vogue would let you explore those fields they had really good art directors yeah Christina Zimple and people like that and June McCallum when she was there at Vogue uh, they were exploring as well it was such a creative time for Australian photographers fashion photographers and I don't know if we'll hopefully we'll get back to that because it's you know, I used to get 10 pages from Australian Vogue. I'd be in Samoa or somewhere and I'd do 10 pages of whatever you feel like on a fragrance. And the fragrance I did not even have to show. So I ended up having these bottles and I'd smash them. I cleaned it all up after. Yeah. Put them on a rock and some of them smashed and with waves breaking and did it really slow shutter. So yeah. it had a really romantic image. It was just, anyway, I was just exploring imagery, lots of blurred and out of focus, but it was great. Yeah, yeah, it was, was it? Yeah, absolutely. So mate. I'm trying to. I'm just got involved in that shoot again. Yeah. <laughs> but you remember the good shoots, and you remember the bad, the really yeah. bad ones. You remember yeah. where things go wrong.
0: T- totally. Well, let let's talk about a few bad shoots. Let's talk about a few few mistakes and a few like horror moments. You don't have to say what the brand was, but we've talked one. about some of the highs and some of the great successes. Yeah. Give us an example of like a nightmare scenario where you had to eat, eat humble pie and um,
1: make it good. <laughs> one comes to mind it was with australian vogue in bali again many years later and they'd made the fundamental error of booking a model through a a composite card without seeing her in flesh she came from new york recommended from elite i think it was uh, at the time or what was it ford i can't remember anyway she came and uh she was put on weight on on the flight she said she she took on water she was 13 kilos heavier than what she was on a card she was actually pregnant and she didn't say it. And no, I'm shooting swimwear. And, they, and we didn't. <laughs> and we, yeah, there you go. So I'm, I'm in Bali and I'm going, how do I shoot this girl? And the Vogue company, they're coming to me going, what can we do? And I'm going, okay, we have to get really creative here. So I use a lot of smoke and use a lot of screens where the, her body's halfway showing. Yeah. Creative, but in a very difficult process to get, <laughs> you know, how many pages we had to get. And luckily, we had some beauty so I could crop a body a bit. Yeah, She did apologise, but it doesn't really help you. In the middle of nowhere, you can't get another model in. Yeah, I've got another good one too.
0: Yeah, go, go for, for
1: it. A contest called The Face of the 80s. It was run by Ford, and we'd uh, we'd had the girl who won the contest, a German girl. Anyway, we had a good first-day shoot on location in Greece, one of the islands, and I went to sleep, and I had a knock on the door and i thought oh gee i was late for the wake-up call but it was 2 30 in the morning my assistant had blood on his face and he says don't worry it's all okay come downstairs i went downstairs shocked on what's going on and the model had damage to her face and, and and the male model as well so what happened was she was a german girl and she said to eileen ford she never drank they all got drunk after this shoot they had a little, few too many drinks they went riding on a scooter as you do in the Greek ox, and she's never had a licence. Three of them on a the bike. They hit gravel at the car park near the beach, came off, cut her face right up, and it was a big gap. Holy shit. And all I said was, get her to hospital. So we went to hospital, and it was like a... It was like mash. They didn't have enough room in the hospital. There was all these tents outside. And there's a doctor looking at her going, we're going to stitch her face. And I said, no, no, don't do anything. You know, I said, just patch her as good as you can, and we'll have to send her home had to make that call to Vogue. And then Eileen Ford got on it. She said, this girl never drinks. Uh, You know, what have you done? We're going to sue Australian Vogue. (laughs) And anyway, she said, you've got to send the model and uh, your assistant home. Anyway, I had to stick up for my assistant. I said, look, I can't get another assistant in. Uh, we have to keep shooting. And the male model's like an Italian guy who's like a who's a bit of a naughty boy. And he just sort of said, not my fault, really. So anyway, uh, they actually ended up, after about a few days' dispute, they sent the model that got second in the face of the 80s. <laughs> and I ended up shooting with her. And uh, the German girl who did hurt her face, she got fixed up really well in plastic surgery eventually she left the industry she said she liked a drink she apologized to me and to Australian Vogue because she does like a drink and she likes her freedom and she never stayed a model which probably suits her yeah Yeah, wow. So there you go. There you go, mate. Thanks
0: thanks for a couple of juicy stories. (laughs) (laughs) So while we're talking, you know, names and big names and all that sort of stuff, so you shot a lot of the big supermodels of the era, Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista and, you know, so on and so on. Um, Tell us about, I mean, I know it was that crazy time of the supermodel was, you know, the it thing of that time in, you know, the modelling and fashion world. You know, because you're used to how you worked here, it was a very small crew. It was you, maybe an assistant, fashion mm. editor, hair and makeup, stylist, usually a small crew, hands on, going over, working around the world and working with the Naomi Campbell's of the world. Tell us how that was, how many mm. you had in your team, and how you managed that transition.
1: Well, I think the team's just got bigger they exaggerated and uh, you know because big huge budgets on shoots and you've got the pr person coming in and talking almost for the star celebrity whoever uh what they want to do even though the celebrity might really have a different idea anyway you just end up dealing with these people but i think you just have to for me it was just i just stayed honest to myself if i didn't really like the look of something i would say it and more times than not the, uh, the celebrity whatever would trust you with your vision and um, more than listening to the other people. Yeah. Which I didn't ever make a split in camps. Mostly it would work pretty good. Yeah. And they'd have a lot of yes people around them, even supermodels and stuff. Or oh, yeah. When, you, when you're working and you're getting creative with someone, all those boundaries get broken. I did this cover of Kim Bassinger. She used to be a model. Not many people know that. And um, it was for a French magazine, and they wanted a the cover. They wanted her smiling and sexy, which is, at that time, you know, she was really well-known for. And um, I'm shooting in a studio, and a PR lady came over first. She said, she's not going to smile, she's not going to look at the camera, and she's not going to be sexy. And I'm, look- <laughs> and, you know, I'm going, well, well, great. What, what, I might as well just go home now. And I looked to the fashion editor that looks like the weakest link in the team because they don't know... They've got to an answer to their editor. I really don't. If it doesn't... If it goes south, I can always eventually go somewhere else or just say, hey. Yeah. So I had to pull it together. I started shooting with Kim and then the next minute... She quite liked how we were getting on. It sometimes it a bit of a flirt, but it just means that the girl likes to feel attractive. Everyone does. Yeah. And she was enjoying that. And eventually, it was just getting looser. And yep. she was starting to smile. And then she was looking at camera. And I eventually got the shot. Uh, and I used it as a cover. And uh, so, yeah, you have to work around situations. I'm not a, I'm not a conf- confrontational. I'm a cancer by trade a cancer which is yeah, yeah. you go sideways and nip people from the back <laughs> so i have a way of working that worked for me and it's like just you know just work into it and do deal with what you've got not make too many dramas and uh nine times out of ten i got away with it and in the end we had like some, we had 30 minutes with kim and we had 90 eventually she quite liked what we we're doing wow
0: Wow, that's cool, mate. That's a, that's so it gives exciting. you an idea.
1: Yeah. All the other professional models like Naomi and that, usually they've come for a certain time. You just, you know, I think one of my best shoots creatively or fun-wise was with Linda Evangelista. She's been working with her Brits and, uh, you know, Bruce Weber, Peter Lindbergh, all these famous photographers. And at the time, she's the most famous and probably the best model ever. She asked me, what do I want? I said, anything. Because I just wanted to see what she had, and I just sort of made fun with her. I said, look, can you cry? And she cried. And I went, OK, can you laugh? Like, crazy. And, then, like, and she did all this stuff in a matter of seconds. And, and that's when you know you've got a chameleon. Uh, uh, the best models are chameleons. Kate, Mar- I never worked with Kate, but she was another chameleon that can look many different ways. And they're the best models. You know, that's why they get paid the money. That's why they're so famous. Because they put an outfit on. They live that outfit. Yeah. Or they live that attitude. Yeah. You know, amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's cool. One of the interesting things about working with you, you always did, you had such a lovely, easygoing, affable, enthusiastic manner. Jules, a mutual friend of ours, because we were you know, younger than you, we used to kind of think, oh my God, he's like working with these extremely beautiful women all over the world, often away for weeks at a time. And often they're hitting on you. What I liked about your approach—it was a little yeah. bit flirty and enthusiastic, but it was never sleazy. I noticed that, and I guess I've tried to apply the same approach in my life mm. as a director, and it's kind of worked for me in, you know, two ways. A, I'm still with my wife after 30 years; we're happily married, and I haven't fucked it up. Um, <laughs> but also, it just makes for a really great environment where the girls, the talent, feel comfortable. Yeah, is that it's something m- was you my were
1: process. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a... Well, because I had a few examples at the time. Not that... You're a male, you have that side, and you have a creative side, and I think it was always a creative sort of one-out, and I think if you lose out and it's the other side, you lose it, creativity, which is what it's all about. The girls also like to feel trusted, and they've, they want to expose bits to you that they wouldn't expose to other people. So you, you sort of draw a line in the sand. It's a bit of a hazy line, but there was a lot of attraction and flirting on and which was for me getting a good shot yeah and and the girls were trusting that way i never stepped over that boundary and and i think once you do and photographers at that stage were just you know doing like all those movies like you just wanted to get the girls and yeah. became a fashion photographer that's yeah. why everyone wanted to be one so yeah and i had a great marriage and still do you know we have a healthy life and uh And sometimes you meet some of the models and as beautiful and physical they are, this is not all of them, a lot of them are good all through, but some of them, it's just a facade. And look is not always exactly what's going on behind, as you know.
0: Absolutely, mate. Tell me about some of the mags you've worked for, you know, Vanity Fair and American Vogue and all the rest. Share a couple of stories from a few of those shoots with those iconic publications.
1: Yeah. I've shot a lot. for A magazine used to called Interview. Yep. Uh, they were great, really good. Great American man. Yeah, big black and white magazine. Yeah. I, I had a great time. Shot the America's Cup fashion sort of look for them. which when Dennis Connor I think, beat us in Perth, I think. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. So I'm from Perth, so it was really easy for me to shoot there. And we had carte blanche, open budget, and I had a lot of models and friends on the boats, and we were shooting the yachting as well as that, and that was one of the shoots that was really quite fun and successful I have to go back and um, yeah a lot of I did a lot of work for French magazines yep. uh, Madame Figaro was really successful because I left Australia for about seven years at my peak and because Patricia was my French wife and uh, she was like most europeans living in australia and that's what we're having trouble now with the border closures is people they have to go back to their roots every now and then yeah and have to see their culture and she was at the height of her career too she was looking a bit homesick and i said look if you want to go back to france we can go back you've got to quit your job she had to be the first to do it i was freelance anyway next day she quit a job and i went oops i put my foot in there because i was happy to keep surfing and living my life (laughs) So we ended up going to Paris and working there and it was actually very good for me at that stage because there's a career high and low and mediocre that you get in Australia because it's a smaller market and they're always wanting something newer and fresher and better and younger, whatever. And it's taken Australia a long time to actually sit with some classics. You might find that in music as well. Now it's getting better, they actually going back to reference points, actually enjoying and not always trying to find something new and going, hey, that was not so bad. Yeah. And France was like that. And it was good for me to to get away for a while and, and see a different creative process over there.
0: How did you – I mean, I know you can speak a bit of French. Yes, um, <laughs> sir. <laughs> you know, they're pretty protective of their local culture, I'm sure they didn't go with open arms. Oh, Graham Shearer, yep, this yep. amazing Australian photographer's come to town. Let's give him lots of work. I'm sure you had to fight for it.
1: A little bit. Uh, creatively, that was what was good for me. I did creative work for them and they were a, quite a creative magazine because it was like a supplement part of a magazine, uh, newspaper right. that would get published anyway. And when it's like that, you're not worried about sales because it's to do with the newspaper. So they had quite a leeway creatively. And I was really loving the creative side, so I pushed the boundaries. And uh, I wasn't as stressed as some of the other photographers were, and I I had this laid-back attitude, but there was a lot going on inside my head that I didn't involve people with, and that's the creative side. And they liked that. At first, you know, they couldn't believe how easygoing you were, but then they saw the work was coming out as well. Because the visual game we're in, shots have to stand up. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how nice or how whatever... Uh, and it was working and then I had a really long career with those guys and, and, and I, I don't know 12 years or so working for them and my photos are still getting sold I'm getting royalties from France still
0: wow wow
1: that's cool still from beauty work and they did a right. lot of beauty work which I love doing yeah. going to locations shooting with a great location beautiful girl as L'Oreal and all those products and stuff and um, it was great it was not only just doing fashion and then when I got in the beauty world I started doing body work and that's I'd realised I'm quite good doing bodies and less clothes. Yeah. And when I started working less for fashion magazines later on in my career, because it became very Instagrammy, how many followers you've got will depend on how much work you get and how much you influence people, which, you know, I came back to Australia. There was another couple of mags that wanted to use me. But the uh, the editors were then influencers. I'm not bitter with this, but it's just the way it was. Yeah. They just couldn't use me because I never followed that up. I left Australia and I didn't do Facebook back then. Yeah. And I came back to Australia and all my mates, photographers that did Facebook were really popular and then went to Instagram and I just didn't go against it. I thought, oh, I don't need to do that. Yeah. So anyway, I lost out on working for Vogue, which would have been really creative. As, and I didn't have to shoot all the time, but just every now and then. So I ended up deciding for myself after a few years of doing really not so great crappy catalogue work just to make ends meet, Yeah, I went, okay, I'm going to just start shooting my own stuff just to try stuff out. From that I'd showed some people, had some exhibitions and, and yeah, uh, love galleries. Yeah,
0: that, I love that series of work. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, yeah, then it was just me. I had no yeah. art
1: directors, no one, no clothes, and it's almost yeah. like the Emperor's New I had no clothes. <laughs> and, um, and I realised there's a, a niche I'd found. And I'm, I'm in a niche now because I'm an old non-jaded photographer. Yeah that likes doing what he does and it's still creative and that's why i've still got the enthusiasm for it yeah but i wouldn't want to work every day flat chat like i used to no that enthusiasm's gone but just some creative things and i just do it myself
0: yeah mate you've still got it (laughs) (laughs) no your work is timeless really as you're chatting i keep having memories of different shoots and different moments kind of come back to me but the, probably the there's a
1: lot of naughty ones too.
0: We won't <laughs> well, mention
1: them, will we? Uh, we won't, won't mention
0: <laughs> them. But aside from the very first one, you did my my first shoot when I was I think I was about sixteen or seventeen. That was in Dolly. I remember that because that was a that was an exciting moment, and that sort of set in motion a whole kind of career for me in this world. But the sort of the one closest to my heart is the first shoot with our daughter Gypsy when she was six. Mm. Kate and I were living in Melbourne at the time. I think it was Woman's Weekly. Weekly, Yeah, Yeah, Woman's Weekly, you know, we did a deal with them to do the first shoot with our daughter and the three of us. And, of course, you were the guy we requested. Man so, of choice. Yep, so you <laughs> flew down and, you know, Kate was nervous and uncomfortable about, you know, being a new mum and, you know, just having yeah, delivered a no. nine-and-a-half-pound baby or something, and it was daunting, especially mm. for Kate, not mm. so much for me. And, anyway, you arrived and just, you know, your usual enthusiastic, easygoing self, and it was just like falling off a log, and I couldn't believe it. We hadn't had a shit editing grin from her, but I don't know if you remember, it's like, <laughs> here we are shooting the main shot, here's the baby, and we're trying to get, like, a happy face, and Gypsy kind of looks straight at the camera with a big smile, <laughs> big gummy smile, and it was just like, oh, my God. Such it. a pro. It was just the, um, the shots were great and Gypsy was in great form. So that one... That's, Still is
1: good, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's one... Um,
1: there you go. The, well, that's the, part of the well, my trick was just not really my trick. It was just part of my personality. So I'm like that when I meet people too. Uh, it, it's just you try and get as much as you can out of the person without them being stressed, and yeah, and have an environment that works, you know. Yeah, and and then you get the best out of people. That was yeah. my form. Saying that, other photographers can be very stressed and not good for babies. Don't shoot babies, no. when
0: you're very stressed. No, no, that's uh, for sure.
1: And they can be very particular about what they want, but they have to really produce the goods. And some guys have. Yeah, but yeah, just just not my style.
0: No. No, that that was cool. And mate, let's talk cameras for a minute. Tell me, I remember you used to shoot on the Nikon back in the eighties. FM two. FM two. Yeah. Because I bought one of those bodies off you at one stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great and camera. you know, bloody camera, it never looked as good for me as it did for you. Maybe it had something to do with <laughs> operator
1: error. Yeah. It was I used to not get too involved in technique, even though I loved the technical process and I would push boundaries. It would just be about getting the shot and not wasting too much on a shot. And I found that with me, the FM2 was a really good technical camera but that you used manually then. Yeah, so, uh, totally. And when you go back to the lab, the film had to be, well, I don't know if people know, within a half stop. Yep, of the correct exposure, which is now it's it's almost impossible to do because it's really hard. But I used to get it within There's the quarter stop. so light stop. sensitive now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, then with well, the leeway now is three stops. You can shoot under and over with a digital camera, yeah. and it's saved easy. Yeah. You can fix that, and you get detail in the shadows. Um, back then, you didn't. If it wasn't right on film, I mean, a lot of people are shooting film now, and I think it's just a throwback from the easiness of digital. And uh, and I think a lot of the young kids and people coming up and even the older guys have gone back to film to show it's honesty but you know I'm, I'm sort of to and fro on that because I've shot 30 something years, year 40 years on film I'd have nothing to prove on film and I can shoot either format and a lot of people get to shoot film and it's not criticizing it's just the way it is and not do the process of the dark room and all that yep. and they don't print it themselves and they just basically scan an egg and Put it on the computer, retouch, and then scan it. So it's a file again, anyway. Yeah. To digital file. So I don't really see the difference, but I understand when you're shooting the rawness of it, you're dictated by exactly the light. And if the light's terrible, you get a bad shot on film. With digital, you have much more leeway. So when I ended up shooting a lot of catalog work, when people went from film because it was free almost, yeah. there's no money involved with the lab. Yeah. Uh, she so went from a ten thousand dollar film bill to zero. They embrace digital in a big way. Yeah. Still, I think, uh, if you're a good artist, any medium works. And again, there was another famous guy who shot... Everyone was shooting big format, really good quality um, film back in the day. And he started just shooting stuff on Polaroid, which is probably like shooting on phones now, or whatever. Yeah. And his shots were great. And it's just the imagery that, that gets me. When you see something like a photo or artwork, if it engages the viewer... Longer than a few seconds, yeah. you've done your job.
0: Yeah, an emotional reaction and yeah. only need enough technique to get that. It could be no and, technique. And, it's um, just
1: an idea an art and, and it works. And you, someone has a singular vision to show that yeah. and enough people like it, you're onto something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As simple as that. That's where it is. But then, as I said before, professional, you've got to keep producing that work under a very strained environment sometimes.
0: yeah. No, I often thought, because I went on to predominantly make a living out of directing TV commercials... I was kind of working with a big team and there was departments to yeah. do things. There was a lighting department.
1: You're the bandage. Stu- You've got to bring all this stuff together. Yeah, well, uh, I With mean, a vision.
0: Look, yeah, look, in, in many ways it was a lot easier because unlike you, I wasn't having to sort of wear all the hats. Oh, so I was okay. a specialist yeah, yeah. director. But yeah. then on the other hand, there was a whole load of other difficulties and pressure in managing the politics and yeah. the clients and yeah. the agency and half the job in that high-end um, advertising world yeah. is managing all of the different parties. I yeah. mean it's like half a sales job, half a political job. Well, yeah. I've already got a hole there. Maybe a third sales, a third politics and a third, you know, creativity, creativity in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And it became more so that over the years. When yeah. I first started, the director was kind of a bit of a god, there I say, you know, yeah. people are like, yeah. well, you're the expert, yeah, yeah, we yeah. trust you yeah. to do it. But then as time went on to where it is now, you know, everyone's well now, an expert now, and you're, yeah. ca- you're kind of more. Every
1: feel's an expert. <laughs> and, I, and you, but also film too. You were because of the money and the people involved and the teams involved. Like you're saying, there's so much money involved that you had to. It had you had to talk about the storyboarded before you got there. It was and like mate,
0: a military exercise. With, you know, which,
1: was I was like sometimes I had a blank canvas. Yes yeah. reminds me. Oh, of what mate, we're talking bring it on! Right I love now. it. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you'd have to pull it together, and I love that we would have concepts before but it's just putting it all together so exciting yeah and i had less people involved because less people would criticize the art because especially if you're getting the shots why would anyone criticize but then eventually with the nightmare of digital when it first started as a photographer i would shoot a shot and it'd be a screen with a digi guy that's just got out of film school will zoom into the model's eye and not particularly the best shot and say she's out of focus and I would go, okay, I have to go through this process. And the client would look like I'm useless. Oh. And I'd go, okay, how big is that shot going to be on the page? Oh. And i go, okay, so then he shrinks it down to like a foot, sometimes it's like a two-inch image. Yeah. And I said, can anyone see that's out of focus?
0: Yeah.
1: And I said, well, it's film sharp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a saying. And, you know, it's sort of you had to be not nasty but just educate people again. So a lot of people have a say, then photographers started to get, okay, no screens, we shoot, we'll edit later. But yeah. uh, it's very difficult now with what you're saying. It's like uh, everyone has a vision and it's, sometimes there's too many cooks trying to get through and uh, that's when you're not getting your vision through.
0: Yeah. Mate, what um, cameras are you shooting on now, like digital cameras?
1: Uh, Canon 1DX Mark II, I think. I think there's a Mark III yep. at- I've got an underwater housing that suits that and it's like a recipe that I'm used to and I'm not really running to get a better processor. I don't shoot that much commercially. I need a faster processor and it does the job for me. I've gone mirrorless a little bit and that was okay. I just don't see the difference. I just think you find a workhorse that you like and I've been happy with that
0: and what lenses do you use most uh, of them?
1: well you know what when I started I used to use a zoom lens and that was my trick to work for me really well because I used to like cropping into models and stuff sometimes it would be unaware yeah and I what I'm shooting and I'd close into a close-up and they look great sometimes because when you're that like, you're doing a portrait or a shot that's a portrait everything stiffens up yeah. so I'd try and get those shots out of routine yeah and it would work so I'd had an 80 to 200 and then for specific underwater work, I'd have a zoom again. I'd play with uh, 16 to 35, and that works well for underwater. Right. And then I got a two by if I want to do some surfing shots and my boys mucking around. But I've been a bit lazy. <laughs> um, that's cool, mate. Thank you. And let's talk about hair and makeup because it's
0: such a big part of. Fashion photography, yeah. and you've worked with you know some of the greats. Obviously, Richard Keogh, a, a mutual friend back in the '80s in yeah. the, the Dolly days. He was he was amazing. He was great. Um, tell us about that dynamic between you and the hair and makeup artist. And I mean, obviously, you're not a trained makeup artist or something. How would you work at that time? And say say they arrived and you didn't like what they had and Time crunch, just tell us about that dynamic.
1: You'd try and put the team together that works for the shoot. You'd never randomly pick a hairdresser that was good in a studio and take him on a weak location in the jungle, because things go crazy. So basically, if you're wanting someone to do natural makeup, you'd pick a natural, really good makeup artist that way. And if you wanted something like that, even more creative, you'd go with someone who's a bit crazier but good in a studio, again, not on location. And um, you'd work around it. Sometimes I'd have a fixed idea what's fashionable at that time for hair and makeup, and we'd go a little bit that way. And sometimes I would not like it when uh, it's overly made up. And I've had a few, not blow-ins, but just heavy discussions on what I really think looks better. And I was always a natural guy, but I didn't mind. We went through the androgynous stage and the... Late '80s, I think, where men were looking like women and, yeah. and very pale and very gaunt, and I quite liked that stage, and I didn't mind them being made up. Yeah, but usually, yeah, you picked a team that fits it.
0: Yeah. Uh, remember Aaron? Obviously, oh, Aaron was, who great.
1: was very clever, creative genius. Yep, and uh, he Absolutely. brought stuff to when I was working, especially we had this creativity in Australian Vogue, and he knew, you know, creatively wise where I was going, and he would add his touch. And, yeah. I would sometimes be not expecting it but I'd just yeah. be totally floored by it and go, yeah. we saw the vision then together yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and we did some landmark yeah. images at yeah. the time. did some, did some great shoots yeah. with him.
0: What about, did you work with Richard Charo or was he sort oh, of more Oh, A couple of times the,
1: Richard Charo, that's yeah. when he was so, so famous then yes. and uh, he was fun to work with. I think you yeah. always find these people that have done really well in the world and they usually are the most relaxed. You get on well with them and you try for something, yeah, even creative or crazy and you trust them. They usually know not to step over the line and what's the point? They're trying to create some new vision and you'd know that at the time you'd go for it with them. It's sort of a journey you do together. Yeah. And you don't want a conflicting journey because what's the point? You're going to get two different conflicting images. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's cool, mate. Mm. Photography has changed so much, it's kind of like... The barrier to entry now is sort of non-existent because mm. everyone can pick up a digital camera <laughs> and go and shoot. Obviously, it's incredibly competitive because there's so many photographers and there's yeah. so few magazines doing editorial. Yeah, magazine, and it's, less and less magazines. Yeah, it's just a, the, it's a completely different industry. Yeah. I guess if you were starting out now... What approach would you recommend to aspiring photographers and, in particular, fashion photographers?
1: Well, there are a few different rules now, but I think if you would have to be prepared to be poor, which it was back then too. I remember assistants living in New York and six months living on the studio floor, not much to eat. A third assistant, yeah. barely get fed, yeah. just to learn from a famous photographer or something and uh, and, and to meet the right people to get a, a, you know, a footstep in. Yeah. I don't know it's not quite the same now but yeah you'd have to be as a male photographer it must be hard than as a female photographer now female photographers if you're good looking and have great body parts a lot of people now become influencers and people send them products they get good money that seems to be another commercial way to get through as a male there are avenues still probably a little more limited but I, from what I see I don't know I haven't been in that market but I think it's pretty tough out there yeah or you just do what you want, and you like you, you do underwater, or you do surf shots, and you become very good at it. Or yeah, underground, yeah. And you you hope you get picked up by the right people, then people that are more famous will like you, maybe. Yep. And that's the way. Uh, it certainly changed a lot that way. Yeah, yeah. It it's has. not always raw talent now. You have to have a few other things up your sleeve.
0: Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> I got the
1: picture. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not starting out now. I didn't know if would have had the opportunities I had at that time. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Like, as far as purpose goes, I know it sort of happened organically. You were in Bali and we heard the story. Were you ever conscious of a a burning purpose to communicate and uplift through aesthetics or things like that? Because you were extremely driven and worked really hard at the same time, very easygoing, but really ambitious, and that's how you you know, achieved what you did.
1: I just enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, I got so excited about a shoot, especially the more creative ones. Um, I had a lot of control with good teams. That's what drove me. And, and the image, the end product yeah. was what drove me. And I think sometimes I wasn't sure if we'd get some magic in a shoot and you know it when you have and it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think you're just driven by that, just producing great images if you can. Uh, under the circumstances. And I, like you're saying, I had teams and people that wanted to work with me. And it was just great fun, great energy, and not too much stress. It was, um, we didn't have to answer for a lot then. We used to push the boundaries because magazines had to accept your eight pages because they didn't have any other plan B. And then it changed later when they could drop your story. And I had some stories dropped that I thought were great. And probably if I could single out those editors now that did drop my stories, they would be probably admitting it was more of a political than an artistic choice they made. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So I'm okay with it. I sleep still <laughs> <now>. <laughs> A lot of people that are famous photographers in Europe, I read stories about that happening to them and there used to be, even though they'd show their second stories, it never got published and it was quite interesting. The yeah. backstory is always interesting.
0: Yeah, Wow. What about? I mean, you shot some royalty. Oh. With, with who did you shoot? Duchess of Kent and stuff like she that. I think funny. didn't you?
1: She was like an Aussie. She was great.
0: Was that over there?
1: Yeah, In, it was for some magazine. It was probably a, almost like a board editorial. But she was great at that stage. I think she was almost not allowed to be called that, but she was. Okay, right. She was with Andrew, and something oh, yeah, happened yeah. Uh, later with Andrew. Right, <laughs> but. um... She was really great. I remember, I think it was like those English tabloids are terrible. They got hold of a some story, but I think it was leaked by the PR guy. Right. Basically, we shot all these shots of her. She wanted me to call her Sarah. Right. And not the Duchess. Yeah. And I was like the only one allowed to say that. And I'm like, Sarah. <laughs> you know, I'm like really Aussie talking to her, like having fun. And uh, she really trusted me on the shots. And anyway, there's one shot I was doing and I didn't like the pants yet. I said, you got any jeans? And she didn't have any jeans that would fit her. And I said, what size are you? And she was my size pretty much. And I took my jeans off, put some shorts on (laughs) and gave her the jeans. And she wore the jeans for a shot. And of course the photographers of paparazzi got hold of it. And it's like I was sharing some sort of extra relationship thing. Right. And they made much more of it than what it was. Right. But she made front pages from it. And I did too. It was sort of weird. I'm like, these events happen involved with famous people and it can be out of hair just like not really the
0: yeah classic what about uh the aussies obviously shot colt kidman's and naomi watts and yeah. sarah murdoch's and or sarah hair i guess sarah back, O'Hare back, back then, back then. How was that?
1: Sarah was great. Great Aussie girl. She used to eat a lot of snacks that were pretty not that great, but she's very healthy looking. I don't know how she <laughs> did. She never put on any weight. She looked always fabulous, and yeah. she was always a great Aussie girl to work Such with. Such a lovely girl. Beautiful smile. You yeah. just wanted to work with her. Yeah. And who's um, the other girl, sir? Uh, Who's the other
0: good Megan Gale, Nicole Kidman. No, Nicole and, Kidman, that Naomi was the one. Yeah, and,
1: uh, when working for Clear, it was a little more commercial than Mac. Yeah. We had uh, to do the cover and shots of Nicole Fashion inside. We went to Malibu. This was quite an interesting story. And when she was doing Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise, and I'm shooting, and you have to be pretty wary of Tom. Well, he's pretty smart, right? He was pretty protective of her. Right. And he didn't want anything sexy and she sort of waited for him to leave and then we did some shots because Cleo was a little bit sexy and she was quite happy to do it. She was great. Yeah. But I remember seeing him in the kitchen and uh, I thought they overly kissed too much. I thought they were making too much of a deal with it. And I thought, okay, you are in love. Okay, we got
0: it. Oh, so you did shots of them together?
1: No, I no. wanted to. Oh. But at that time, he was doing Days of Thunder. If anyone remembers, it's that yeah, Irish. Yeah, yeah, she, she was in it as well. Okay, he yeah. was sitting at the kitchen table. Topless, jeans on, great body, hair in curlers, dyed red because that's why his hair had to be a bit redder. Oh yeah, right, yeah. And it looked great. It looked like fuck, man, did a shot. <laughs> you look amazing. And I, I started to get the camera up. Says he's pointed at me. He said, don't you dare. Ah, <laughs> right. And I went. That's okay. I understand yeah. the yeah. the whole control of it all. Yeah. But I thought here's someone that was dealing with that time. Yeah. Remember South Park? John, Tom's in the cupboard or John's in the cupboard, and so, Tom's going oh, in to get him. Oh yeah. All okay. That yeah. Yeah. That, that, that thing. Yep. Sort of thing. And yep. I thought, look, mate. If, here's if you can show yourself almost in a like feminine-ish but not. Yeah that's when you're really comfortable with who you are yeah that's all i thought it but yeah. maybe i'm totally wrong yeah well i
0: guess he was you know sensitive but he, to that to i love tom as a guy yeah. he's,
1: a, he's a great guy but like, probably a little bit too controlling and, and which is good cause because he was major celebrity if he'd known a bit more about me and understood yeah. i would have shown him that shot and got it out there and and also later they wanted all their pr shots i did of them they yeah. asked me for that nicole and yeah him.
0: We hung out with them a bit back at that time because Kate had known him for years before we got together and I'd known Nicole because I used to live with Naomi Watts actually around the corner. So when Kate and I got together and Nicole and Tom had got together, you know, we were kind of hanging out a bit there for a while and yeah we had some great times with him no I think he's were, a good,
1: good guy yeah. I think I just understand his control and with total respect in hindsight now I really understand what he's going to but at the time I'm going as a creative I'm looking at this gem of a photo that would have made all the covers everywhere one guy and I couldn't get it so that was like it's in my it's still in my mind's eye that photo yeah but I'm, I'm also respectful enough I don't understand paparazzi. Yeah. Never could be hiding.
0: Oh, the giddy heights of that kind of fame. I wouldn't want that degree of fame. And yeah, sure, there's been plenty of ups and downs, but both of them, I'm, I'm amazed and admire both of them, how yeah. they've stayed really at the top of that business for so wow. long. Yeah. It's incredible. It's easy to
1: slag people like that, but honestly, to get where they've got both of them, the highs and lows, and still be there. Oh. Nicole, Nicole with a film career and directing career, Big Little Lies, fantastic. Yeah. And she takes it to heart now. The films yeah. she's wanted to do, she's doing. Yeah. And I, I admire her. And, who, you know, it's great.
0: Yeah, no, very resilient. Yeah, you've got to be.
1: In this business, you have to be resilient. Yeah. Maybe that's why I haven't lasted as tough as I am. Uh, I, always went, I went for a surf. <laughs> I, the surf was too oh, good. Oh,
0: mate, you're still doing awesome work. Bloody hell! I'm like um, <laughs> Thanks, I don't man. know. Well, you are. How how long since you first started shooting? Is it like forty years or something? How old uh, were you when you started shooting oh, professionally?
1: Oh. It'd be late mid mid to late seventies. Mid to late seventies. So whatever that is, I don't, I don't want to make myself look too old, mate. mate you're,
0: well, <laughs> mate, just, you're bloody on fire still. Yeah. Still, I, still looking mighty handsome, I might add. Oh, I think a was. little sun sun. Yeah, but only some damage. But aren't we all? Yeah. mate. Bloody hell, this has been an absolute pleasure to have a chat with you. Been, uh, this is brilliant. our first ever official chat instead yeah. of just the sort of frothing, you know, two yeah. surfers <laughs> talking about uh, yeah, the waves what today. the
1: conditions are doing that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. I'm still serving with the same enthusiasm that I photo. I you, guess it's weird. You
0: are, and I must say also congratulations on coming second in the state titles <laughs> um what is it seniors category or yeah, something yeah. what I do you call that,
1: it i think we're in the end of the last category i think in, we're, in we're creating sur- new categories yeah surfing category
0: in case <laughs> anyone's wondering yeah which which category yeah, yeah. yeah mate that's unreal still yeah.
1: still surfing like a grommet. i enjoy it i don't know what it is yeah it's just lust for surfing and you know life and that's uh, maybe a key i don't know
0: maiden. In- And I guess on the last note, just Pasha, I've just got to say too, what a wonderful talent and team you guys have made. And she's just an astonishingly lovely and talented creative
1: soul. Because she was such, you know, like she brought so much to the Australian fashion business.
0: She really was a groundbreaking fashion editor at that time. And I think... People like Lisa Wilkinson, who. She saw it. Yeah, she saw it and benefited greatly from it. And hats yeah. off to Lisa. She was an amazing yeah, editor. Yeah, Lisa was fantastic. She, at it, she, uh, it. she spotted the talent. Mm. And, um, you know, in a way, you and Pasha were like her secret weapons. Yeah. So, well, we had so or much Not created. so secret.
1: Yeah, no, it was good. We had great. Lisa was brave enough and she could see it. And, and that we were producing the work and she had to go up against Packer and all his henchmen yeah. at that time too and she pushed for us and that's why we became successful. She made the, expand the boundaries. Yeah. It's amazing. And But Pastor yeah. was saying before, Patricia, Pastor Nickname, uh, yeah. I, I sort of feel s- not sad but disappointed that she wasn't like you're one of the few that recognises, cause she's sort of, now she's she paints and she's a great artist now, yeah. which is creative again. And she's still got such a good fashion eye. Oh yeah. And uh, helped me so much in my career. And yeah. it's a shame, I, mean, I just think it's, but it's uh, the stylist world is a much tougher world. Yeah.
0: Well, I think the younger generation don't care about any of us in that generation in a way, but I think the people that were there, the people that are in the business, recognize how influential and how um important she was to our culture of that time
1: yeah no she was
0: so good on you pat if you're listening to this (laughs) and um thanks for the opportunities you sent my way and likewise mate thanks for the opportunities absolutely you um you know inspired me greatly and yeah (laughs) glad we could do this today (laughs) okay mate Another week, another episode, and another inspiring creative story. Graham and his wife Patricia were the dynamic duo during the high tide mark of fashion magazines in Australia. They've been role models for me as creative artists and as people for decades. Talented, down to earth, and with tireless work ethic. Actually, my favourite type of people to collaborate with on any creative project. Head to grahamshearer.com to see Graham's work and get more info. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Rate, review on the platform if that's an option. And of course, tell your friends if they're missing out on The Blank Canvas. Until next week, live large.
1: The Blank Canvas is produced by Lee Rogers and me, Rin MacDonald, with audio support by Jason Murphy at Gas Inc and music by Rodrigo Bustos. This has been a Milovich production.